you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast. Dab on them folks. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined by a room filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What's up, boys? Hey, Dan. <laughs> what is happening? A valiant block. attempt to touch Greg. Why is he, Why are you blocking I, I blocked it. it. Well, I, I had a feeling it was coming, and I blocked it. Mm. Welcome to, yes, this is the Sunday night edition of the Around the NFL podcast, presented, of course, by Scott Trade. Scott Trade. Good man, good man, good company. Been looking looking for a sponsor all year, and then they, they looked around the landscape. What's the best podcast out there? They chose us. It shows the kind of acumen that Scott Trade has. If you want to diversify your portfolio, <laughs> you go to Scott Trade. I do. Yeah. Um, yes, this is uh, the show where we recap, as I said, my favorite weekend of the year in the NFL, and I think a lot of people agree, divisional weekend, four games, um, you know, one game, an absolute classic. To, to me, one of the, my favorite games ever. And then three games that brought elements of entertainment, none of them at that level, but a nice weekend of football. Right, Mark? I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I had the chance to watch last night's game, the Cardinals-Packers game, in that same little bar where I watched the Bengals game last week. <laughs> and I'm convinced every time I walk in bar. there, it magical, magical games happen. And last night's could not have been any more fun one of the best I've seen in years. Oh, I thought that was the classic. I thought Dan was saying watching his Patriots team that he enjoys watching oh. so much that that was Ouch. the classic. No. Yeah. Greg, that boring. was totally unnecessary. I was oh. in heaven all day on Saturday. Saturday's games were great, and, and the Sunday games maybe not as good, but all these games ended up being one-score games all weekend. That's right. Yeah, not bad. I mean, yeah. I mean, well. Sunday's games didn't quite match up, of course, but – uh, I, I do think that none of those games completely, especially the, the Panthers. I mean, what happened with the Seattle Seahawks? But they even made a game of it. So good job, NFL. I was <laughs> impressed. I will have some new slogans for the NFL next Sunday show. Just a little teaser. Can't wait. Going to workshop that. Um, so, yeah, we will get into all the games because that's what we do. We give them the attention. But, you know, just because this is a special show, Wes, I'm going to hit you early in the show with a little – NFL research note. Bang. Wow. Looking forward to that. Remember this one? Love yeah. this song. I don't know this song. Come on. Yeah, you do. I've never heard it. Really? Please don't go. For the, this was the first time since 2004 that all four home teams won on Divisional Weekend. This coming... One week after all the road teams won. NFL. Can't predict nothing. You There's figure one it out. It <laughs> was a top-heavy year in the NFL, really, though. So maybe we shouldn't be that surprised. These four teams, I would throw the Bengals in there. We're really with them all year. We forget about the Bengals. But these were basically the four best teams all season. Absolutely. So let's get into the games. And I think 
the best way to do this is let's just go in the order in which uh, they were played. And uh, so we'll start with uh, a game that took place in beautiful Foxborough. There's a mall up there that is very, you know, well uh, populated and attended. <laughs> There's also a stadium there, Foxborough. The New England Patriots, you know, they got their guys back on the field. They got Danny Amendola. They got Julian Edelman. They got Gronk. And they looked like the Patriots again. They, uh, Tom Brady, of course, looked like Tom Brady, too, uh, finishing with 302 yards, two touchdowns, both of them to Rob Gronkowski. Julian Edelman, 10 for 100, looked like his old self. And uh, at the end of the game, it was 27-20 in favor of the Pats over a Kansas City Chiefs team that, to me, as I watch this game, it's one of those classic uh, can't-get-over-the-hump games for the Chiefs where we saw it again and again. They would get crawl within a score, and then all they needed was a stop or a turnover. Uh, Marcus Peters will, uh, you know, dream or have nightmares about the pass Tom Brady threw that went through his fingers, um, and also a classic throne of ease deflection at the end of the game. So there were opportunities. They never could grasp them. The Patriots take advantage. This is what the Patriots do, and they win the game. They move on to the AFC title game, Wes. I thought we saw the early season Patriots offense with Julian Edelman getting open easily with Danny Amendola coming through with a clutch catch, with Gronk just being too big and physical for opposing defenses. And Brady, I thought, was surgical. You know, they the Chiefs made this a game, but I thought the Patriots were cruising and in control the entire game. Well, they were based on the score, but to me they looked like very even teams, except for two massive differences, which, you know, can't be understated. Tom Brady is still good enough to win games on his own. And then the advantage that the Patriots had at quarterback – uh, could not have been any bigger for a playoff game. And Alex Smith played a, a fine Alex Smith game. I, I do not think he played bad at all. But this was peak Brady, and he can just carry you. And then the other thing that the Patriots are much better at is situational football. We saw it at the end of the game with Andy Reid botching the clock manage it. We saw oh, it Andy. at the end of the first half. People forget about that, how the Chiefs blew an opportunity for points uh, at the end of the first half. And you saw every time the Patriots had a chance to score, they did score. And this wasn't a game that was – uneven in terms of total yardage and first down. Everything looked pretty even throughout the game, but when the Patriots had a chance, they take advantage. I mean, they held a massive advantage at the coaching spot exactly. and quarterback, and in these games, they, all these games look close scoreboard-wise, but there is a vast difference between these two teams. The Chiefs, listen, the Chiefs have nothing to be embarrassed about, but they ran into a buzzsaw here, and I think that New England deserves a ton of credit for the way that they – listen, they don't have the running game that could do much against Kansas City. So they come out of the gate with 14 straight passes. That's great. It reminded me a little bit of how they opened up against Seattle in the Super Bowl, where their quick passing game replaced their ground game to some degree. And they basically they, – they handed the ball off to running backs seven times all game and threw, what, 42 times? And the Chiefs at halftime could not adjust to that. New England did not change their strategy – and the Chiefs couldn't get it done. I mean, New England is just – listen, the AFC is not the same as the NFC right now, but if anyone stops New England, this Super Bowl is going to be absolutely ugly. Well, Brady got rid of the ball quickly. Sebastian Vollmer returned help. Uh, and then Kansas City got nothing from Tamba Ali and Justin Houston. Justin Houston barely played. Tamba Ali was ineffective. D Ford didn't really have much of a game. But this is why I'm saying Brady wins games on his own. It was not a particularly great game by the Patriots' defense, but he knew exactly who he was going to throw to before every snap. He was so decisive at the key moments, like you mentioned. I'm, I'm thinking about when they're at the two-yard line, and in four plays later, they have a touchdown because he goes deep to Keyshawn Martin, and he finds 
Gronkowski. He just had a sense of the moment that it just reminded me this has been one of Tom Brady's best seasons, and it was great to see him it, come through in the playoffs like that. I would like to see Tom Brady in a, a defensive uh, in a game in a playoff game where he needs to worry about the pass rush because he never really got a sense of whether that uh, high ankle sprain was really bothering him. He seemed to be moving well, but he barely had to do anything, and that's part of. The uh, you know I don't think that's an issue because you saw it on the on the run that he had where he, he threw his fine. body and he jumped over for the sneak. I mean, yeah, way to score, Tom. Yeah, they they took his touchdown away from him, and he's like, you know what? Give it to me again. That's my touchdown. I, by the way, everyone's got to realize when you play the Patriots on fourth and one <laughs> or at uh, any goal line inside one, he's gonna jump. He's gonna jump. You just you got to punish him. But this was the Tom Brady game uh, that that. No team can beat when he's playing at this level, and you just got to respect it. I mean, I, I despise the Patriots, and salty Pats fans on my Twitter feed <laughs> all through yesterday, we were warring for four straight hours. I'm sure really they love the fact that you picked against them. Took, <laughs> I did pick against them, and, and you know what? It, I thought the Chiefs actually played a good game. I thought they that's part of the reason why Brady is so maddening, that I didn't think the Chiefs played a poor game. They were undermanned, obviously, as we know, and still they were able to hang around in this game. But every time the Chiefs needed a score – not only do you have Andy Reid's uh, horrible game management, uh, uh, clock management to deal with, but it takes them 15 plays to score, even when they're tr- they need a desperate. They're huddling inside two minutes, figuring out what to do in the red zone. It, it was ridiculous. I remember covering a Packers Chiefs game in September and seeing, being astonished at the stat that the Andy Reid Alex Smith duo had never had a successful two minute t- touchdown <laughs> drill, and that came to mind in this game because it just takes them too long. Well, I saw a stat that. I think it was something like hundreds of drives have started with a team down two scores uh, with under eight minutes to go in the last 25 years. And this was the longest drive that (laughs) any one of those 200 200 teams went on. It was insane. At the beginning of the drive, even, they were taking until six, seven seconds left on the playcock. It was like they were milking the ball. It was like they thought going out of bounds – before there's five minutes left means the clock stopped. Like, they had no awareness. And for them to be huddling with a minute and 40 left when they were inside the five or or just taking all the time at the two and a half minutes, it was insane, and it was exactly like the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Everyone, I'm sure, made that point on Twitter. I wasn't paying attention to Twitter at that point. But it was it's Andy Reid. It's Andy Reid's bugaboo. There were some Donovan McNabb jokes, for yeah, sure. I'm sure. But when Alex Smith is targeting Jason Avant in big spots. Avant had a big game. Well, but yeah. here, that's I mean, the just thing. the uphill climb that they had to even lose by 7. That's a that's an achievement to me the way the game played out. Well, that's the thing. Alex Smith his third down play where he escaped a couple sacks and then threw it 40 Eli like. That was one of the best plays of the year. The game is just about over if he doesn't make that play. And then the game is over if Jason Avant doesn't make a diving catch on fourth and 20. So they had a lot of things that needed to go right just to keep it keep it close. Yeah, I mean Kansas City had the ball for 38 minutes. Wow. And and in a in a winning formula, which was eleven in a row for this team, it was get ahead early and and you know get that clock and wear it down with these eight nine minute drives. That's they a had great these point. fifteen play drives through all this winning streak, but they get behind and it's not a team you can trust to climb out of a hole. And it wasn't a huge one, but it showed you the limitations of this offense. Well, I'm glad and the also- Patriots have an extra day of rest. They were on the field for eighty nine plays. That's one of the most any team's been on the field. I didn't even think of that. That's Holy, a, they could not get of ease right there. They could not get off the field on third down. That's a serious thing. Mm-hmm. Well, Why, how come the how come the Patriots don't have the one less day to get ready for the AFC title game. It's just how it happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that also showed the weakness of New England. <laughs> they have no running game. And you've got Steven Jackson out there. I, I tweeted this. That oh, he, my God. 
He moves like two skyscrapers come to life. I mean, <laughs> what? What? I mean, he. I like that. It's glacial. He just doesn't move like an athlete anymore because he's. I mean, he's taken too many hits in his career. Well, I think I totally agree, and that's we'll get to the talk about the AFC Championship game all week, but that's why I'm not going to be overconfident. When a team has as bad a running game as the Patriots have, that's that's a problem. It's a huge weakness that none of their teams that they've gone to the Super Bowl or won the Super Bowl with, maybe with the exception of the first one, has had. James White was actually their main running back. I mean, he was on the field far more than any other well, running back. And not handoff-wise, though. I mean, no. he's just sitting in, the, he's but in sitting in of, there as a pass in option. Of you know? Also, yep. you could look at the Super Bowl last year. They were able to win without a running game. I, I mean, I think it's definitely a problem that they have nobody to count on. Steven Jackson's getting big carries in January. But the way they built this offense, it's a, they could survive it, I think. Yeah, and we could say, oh, they have Denver up next, and how do you do that? Well, you just dealt with a very good defense in Kansas City and got it done. Monte Ball must be really fat. He can't get off the practice <laughs> squad with Steven Jackson as the running back. That is interesting. Or or can't pick up the playbook, or who knows, But or is fat. It would be that's, so Patriots, that's though, if Monte example. Ball is a Super Bowl MVP. <laughs> who's bigger, Monte Ball or Butterball. Lacey? Ball or Lacey, who's bigger? It's got to be Lacey. Well, we but. haven't seen Ball in like 100 days, so we don't know how what big a, he's. He could be huge. One of my favorite internet things that has popped up on the radar this week is people are starting to – resurface Eddie Lacy, not to get too off off the grid here, but resurface Eddie Lacy tweets from his college days where he's just tweeting about how hungry he is, how <laughs> yeah, he I've loves fast it. food, and <laughs> can't wait to eat Chinese food. It's all I can think about. That's Eddie Lacy right now. But, uh, yeah, so listen, and Patriots fans, we're we're in a rough spot right now on social media. They're angry. Uh, I Pick against them again. Belichick I don't, sh- showed our podcast to the team. Why do fans it, care if an analyst God. picks against them? No, it cracks me up. Well, yeah. it may have to do with some of the tweets that Dan's put out and some of the comments <laughs> he's made. It's not just the pick out of, you know, in space. There's what my favorite my favorite tweet, because they were all fired up. It's an interesting fan base you guys uh, have uh, cooking over there, Greg. Um, I, I made the comment after that last deflection. By the way, Mr. Belichick, I would love to see – how the BB Mafia would have handled it if on that, that last throw by Brady, if the deflection went for a pick six to tie the game, how they were going to talk themselves out of that one as that being a smart move by Bill just didn't work out. <laughs> the flex, I, you know, I mean, you want to talk about throne of ease uh, situation. I mean, that look at this pass. If you're watching on YouTube, you know, any other team, you know, that happens to the Browns, Mark. You know what happens? It pops right into this cornerback's hands, and he's going back the other way. Fair point. It is one of many deflections this week that went in the favor it, of But I've, I've heard people go, well, if Ali caught that and went it back. It was like going behind his body, and it was his left hand, and it was a deflection. And I fully expected the Patriots to throw the ball there because you know what winning teams do? They play to win. They didn't want to run the ball two more times and punt it and give the Chiefs the ball back with 90 seconds. Up. A- Why bother? Why not let the best player on your team, the best player in that game by far, try to win it? Trust him. He didn't make a good decision that play, but it worked out anyway. Preach on, Greg. I disagree totally. If you know the t- your opponent, the game was over. You run it two times and punted. It takes him 15 plays to score. <laughs> there, you think Alex Smith is leading him down the field Pro- less than a month? Probably not, play? but the Patriots defense 
we, you know, we, we didn't really talk about them. Didn't really have a great game. Didn't have much of a pass rush. Lost Jamie Collins. It wasn't an inspiring performance. I thought they would play better. And so I absolutely want to trust Brady, who his pocket movement was great, his rhythm, everything was great from Brady his, in that game. Let him try to win it. His pocket movement and ball placement are better now than they have ever been. He can't throw the deep ball like he did in 2007, but he is phenomenal. And he got through. He dealt with a lot of drops yesterday, and he, you know, it didn't shake him in the end. And oh. bef- before we move on, I know I'm, we're so spoiled as Patriots fans. The fact they've made 10 AFC championship games in 15 years is one of the most amazing stats that you could come up with. And, and we had a graphic earlier, the all-time coach quarterback combinations in terms of AF, uh, in terms of title games. They've now been to 10. The next closest is six with Noel and Bradshaw and, and Landry, I believe, was in, in the other mix. So 10 out of uh, two out of three years, they're in this final four is just insane. In the Super Bowl era, it's really, especially after they won again uh, last year, it's hard I think it's hard to make a case for anybody else as the best quarterback and coach combo ever. Absolutely. So they're playing, with, as Greg, you say, as a fan, you're playing with house money. So, so is Belichick and Brady in terms of their legacy at this point. I mean, it's amazing what they've done. Yeah, and one last thing. I mean, people looked at – you looked at last year's Super Bowl win as the crown on top of this entire era, and you would have been fine if the wheels came off at that point. Well, you got your little cherry on top, but they're a game away from being right back there again. So the ease has not stopped being – Easy yet, Greg Rosenthal. <laughs> That's nice. So the cherubs, they float down. They're very plump, these cherubs. <laughs> and they're, you know, they're <laughs> popping grapes in your mouth, and the harp is going. It's it's a nice it's a nice life you have. I can't complain. I'd love to see them back in San Francisco now that they're close. That's for sure. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. So there you go. That it was wow. the first game. Let us now move to the game. One of the best games I've ever seen. And I don't know if I, I, I haven't really been plugged in on, uh, you know, what people are talking about um, in terms of historically that game. But as I watch that game in the newsroom and I was by myself in terms of the around the NFL group, but um, the Packers humble and brag. Cardinals <laughs> definitely wasn't a humble brag. Um, I love to trade spots where you were on Saturday night, <laughs> put it that way. Um, that the game was to me one of the most amazing games ever. And let's let's talk about it now. Uh, a 26 to 20 uh, Arizona Cardinals win over the Green Bay Packers uh, game in which uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, pulled off something that I've never seen before. Um, uh, two Hail Marys on the final drive of the game for the Packers, what ended up being the final drive of the game. Uh, and they force overtime. And then what happens, Wes? Larry Fitzgerald takes over. The greatest playoff receiver in NFL history takes over. What a guy. What a leader. I hope he gets a Super Bowl ring. So he uh, he has a 75-yard uh, reception, and, and credit goes to Carson Palmer, who will get into Carson Palmer, who did not have a good game, uh, who spots uh, Larry Fitz in the flat on the opposite end of the field. He runs through six Packers players for going down, and then they go to the playbook. Um, uh, they go to the playbook. Uh, a play that they had designed uh, weeks and weeks earlier. They finally use it, a shovel pass to Fitzgerald, who darts into the end zone. Touchdown, game over, a classic game, and a classic Fitz game. There were so many twists and turns in the last quarter and a half. I, I was thinking that this was a great classic, just edge-on-your-seat type of game through three quarters. I mean, that's because I thought the Packers came out 
and there, there's often one of these games on divisional round weekend. I was thinking actually of the Giants-Packers game back in 2008. It kind of reminded me of just this team that was dominant all year, and another team just comes in playing smash mouth, playing exactly how they wanted, and the Cardinals didn't know what to do. I mean, they were almost lucky that they were only down 13-7, 13-10 in the middle of the fourth quarter. And so for that exciting, intense a game to be followed up by what was the most fascinating last five minutes, and you said it, the, the two plays that Rodgers made back-to-back was just like one of our great athletes, not just the NFL's, but one of America's great athletes Ooh, I like it. at the top of his game just dropping it for everyone's enjoyment. I woke my kids up, me and my wife yelling so much on that one. Your wife was yelling too? Yeah, we were just like, oh, my God! And then my daughter comes out of the room and says, like, what's going on? I never get to watch these games in bars or in a public setting because I'm always in the newsroom, but I had the time of my life. In Santa Monica, <laughs> and the whole bar was going absolutely bonkers on throughout the whole fourth quarter, and then it just reached a peak with those Jeff Janis plays. All, it was just crazy. It was also an all-time newsroom uh, moment because the just everyone was kind of in holy s mode as this was all playing out. And I think Brandon uh, behind the glass, we have uh, the green, the local uh, Packers radio call of yeah, the Hail Mary to tie the game. Snap to A-Rod, looking downfield, being flushed, rolling left, winds up, rainbows it high and deep into the end zone, it's high point and it's caught! It is caught for a touchdown! Yes! A miracle yes! catch! Yes! Yes! caught in the end zone! Can you believe it? Unbelievable! Believe it! And the Packers are an extra point away from getting this thing tied! I, I always love whenever it's the local call, which is the best. There's always the color guy who's yeah. always a homer, inevitably. So the guy doing the play-by-play call, sometimes they go homer, too, and that's fun. This guy was pretty professional about it. The color guy just lost it. Well, it's funny because this is a rare time. The national guys, Collinsworth and Michaels, might have been crazy. Their reaction yeah. was, oh, stop it, please. That's insane. And then Collinsworth goes to that's the one of the greatest throws or the greatest throw of all time. And it might have been falling away to his left while he was getting tackled after a spin move. There is no one in the NFL, maybe ever, that can make that throw. I, I mean, thought the first throw was even more impressive than that one. I agree with that, and it's a game where Jared Aberderis and Jeff Janis had a combined 23 targets. <laughs> and it makes what Aaron Rodgers accomplished at the end of this game all the more impressive and I got some flack on Twitter when I also was out at a public place with you, not with you, Wes, but across town. Humble brag. From people that were saying, it is a humble brag. <laughs> yeah. All right? I'm bragging, I guess, because I was at a bar. Keep going. This is an achievement in America. But, uh, you know, look at You have a threw game you off where, there. Sorry. Yeah, you did throw Go me ahead. off. You know, <laughs> it's, I don't even know what I was going to say. Well, I know what I was going to say. I, last week, <laughs> I was hard on this game being in prime time. You because were. Because I thought, and, you know, I was not alone that it was going to be 40 to 10 and one of these celebrations of what the Cardinals have done all season. Instead, it became something completely different. I underrated the Packers, and they showed a lot more fight in this situation than I ever thought they would. They won me over. Had they won this, I would not have had a problem watching them play another two games. They were that fun. This was a tough year for Aaron Rodgers, as we all know. Even though if uh, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you're going to look at his stats and make, oh, it was another big year. We all know that wasn't the case if you looked at the season closely. But what he did in a, in a loss, and it rem- reminded me a lot, once Cobb went down early in the game, and uh, it was kind of like I thought about LeBron and the Cavs last summer, uh, when Kyle uh, Irving, uh, yeah. Good his knee went out. And it was basically Aaron Rodgers, the best player in the league, uh, 
you know, against the world. And he almost did it. He was playing without his four top wide receivers entering the season. All of them out of the lineup, and he almost pulled it off. And the credit goes to Jeff Janis. I don't know how he wasn't in the rotation before that. That is a legitimate question that you have to ask when you saw how slow their wide receivers were all year. And we know that Aaron Rodgers has said he doesn't trust Jeff Janis to be in the right place. But I think you have to swallow that pill and just play him. And Aberderis showed quickness and got open. And for all that you said that was good about Rodgers, I think you do have to remember, I think Rodgers will look at this game and think, we had them in great position. And when it really was money time in the last 20 minutes of this game, for the most part, the Cardinals dominated the game. The Cardinals, after it was 13-7, scored on their four of their final five possessions. The, the fifth was that terrible Palmer interception in the red zone. The Packers, on the other hand, uh, after they got that 13-7 lead and things were feeling good, they had gone 17-play drive to end the first half, 17-play drive again, they had a Rodgers interception thrown in, but then they had the touchdown. But after that moment, three and out, seven and out, four, four, and they went for it on fourth down and got stopped. And that was the point of the game. They had a little bit of a lead. They had a chance uh, to keep it close. And that was the moment where, you know, Cardinals defense – for the first time all game, really stood up, totally stopped them. When they well, yeah, I mean, that, but that's what we expected Green Bay's offense to be like, potentially, where you have four or five drives in a row where not a lot's getting produced yeah. because that's what they've been. We were not expecting, I get the four out of five drives to end the game, but Arizona overall on offense was very underwhelming. They came up big in the end, but this is not the cross-section example we thought we'd see from their offense. You look at the Seattle game and this one, and I have to ask, is it possible that they're not at they're not at their peak level? And is it just a one game thing where we throw off in the playoffs? They'll be fine next week, or is there something going on with Carson Palmer? That, he did not look great yesterday. That was again the numbers. They look okay. Twenty five of forty one, three forty nine, three touchdowns. Made some picks. great throws. He made some nice picks, but I thought this was a wretched game by Palmer uh, to the point where you know he threw the two picks. Both were terrible interceptions. He threw one that Sam Shields should have picked off. Uh, in the second half that could have salted the game away if Shields makes a play after catching the ball. Uh, I thought for them to survive this game, when Palmer, first of all, I'm a little nervous if I'm a Cardinals fan about what's going on with Palmer because as much as everyone kills Andy Dalton, other quarterbacks have struggled in the playoffs, Palmer played like a guy that was tight and knew was very well. He knew what his legacy was uh, potentially as well, the way he played this game. I think everything you just said is true. He absolutely played tight. But with the game on the line, that touchdown drive that resulted in the fluke touchdown to Michael Floyd, yeah. he made a third and four play mm. to Floyd. He made that great pass, and David Johnson made the great play too. Two huge third down plays, and I think both of these Saturday games showed two quarterbacks the work they put in in the offseason. Carson Palmer worked out like a maniac, got in the best shape of his life, and Brady and Palmer had some of the best pocket movement in the NFL, and you saw that in both of those games on Saturday. If anything, he was too aggressive. and So I don't know if it's tightness or just his default mode throughout his career is always to just go for it. And he needed to be smarter with that red zone pick, which was an awful throw. And he almo- it almost happened again against Shield. But the thing I think you can say in the rest of those five drives, like you mentioned, when it got to 13-7, they needed a response. And he came up with a couple big throws in that field goal drive to make it 13-10. Uh, the play, the last play, by the way, against Fitzgerald, I mean, Fitzgerald should get a lot of the credit. There's 
There's Clay Matthews coming up right on the middle out of him. He avoids him. Then there's a free rusher. Carson Palmer does a spin move to get away from a, car, a Packers defender before finding Fitzgerald and throwing it across his body. So that's the gunslinger, aggressive Palmer working out. So I don't think he got afraid of the it, moment. He just kept going. It was kind of weird. You're right, because it, it, he did look tight as the game was progressing, but he was still – he was almost like tight and reckless, which doesn't really right. make sense, but <laughs> that's the way he played. But when it – wasn't it, a good game. I don't disagree with that. In, in the end, I mean, the, the play, the 75-yard catch – and run by Fitzgerald in overtime was, you know, that is all Carson Palmer. For, you know, you give him 50-50 credit on it for spotting Fitzgerald, having that type of field vision. And then, you know, and then the final play. Do we have uh, Brandon? Watch, watch this stiff arm at about the 30-yard oh. line. It's so great. Run. Number 42. Fitz- Get off me. Fitzgerald runs through six guys. The only Get off. You know, the only reason he didn't score was a great ankle tackle uh, by somebody in the uh, secondary. Casey Hayward, yeah. Casey Hayward. Uh, do we have what do we have, Brandon? Palmer for takes this? the snap, play action pass. Palmer setting up. He's in trouble. He's hit. Look at that Gets spin. out of there. Rolls right. Throws back to the left. Fitz is wide open. Caught at the Go 35. crazy, oh, color he's guy. There. He's at the 40, at the 50. Turns up. Yell color the guy. At the 40, 35. Stiff arms, 30. 25, 20. Fitz to the near side, 10. To the 5 and tackled there. Carson Palmer. Color guy died, I guess. Out of trouble <laughs> and found a wide open Fitz. That was all day pass. Isn't there color guy? Ron Wolfley? I don't oh, know. Yeah, the guy who sounds yeah, like I Jesse mean, the Body Ventura. Yeah, I, mean, I thought he'd have a lot to say there. He went he went absolutely asleep at the wheel. Is it like ball. a Vince Scully situation there, or is only one guy in the I booth? I don't know. I don't know. Step up your game, Arizona. In wow. The radio booth. That's one of the biggest <laughs> moments in franchise history. The, the team of around the NFL, which was so fun to watch all year, uh, you talked about it before the show, Dan. Maybe, maybe it's a little bit of – of team of destiny here mm. because this clearly was not their best game. They survived a bad Palmer game and you would hope and you would think that moving forward, they're going to play a little looser, going to play more of their game after, after dodging this narrow miss here. I, what I do you think I'm a little worried though. And I want to pick the team of ATL in the NFC title game. And I do, I buy into the, the destiny thing a little bit because it's amazing that they won that game uh, the way he played for most of it. Uh, but don't you worry about Carson Palmer, whether it's his finger or just he wasn't playing well, going to Charlotte where things go downhill quick for uh, opponents, as we saw, and we'll talk about a little later, that he he might struggle in that venue with the crowd going nuts. I don't know. I'm a little nervous if I'm a Cardinals fan about my quarterback. I mean, I think being on the road and going to Carolina, which is obviously an amped up scenario, that would have me more worried than where the Cardinals actually are as a team. It was not a great game by Palmer, but if we're going to give the Patriots credit for passing at the end of the game and being aggressive, we have to give the same credit to Bruce Arians. They're not going to change who they are next week. They're going to go for it from wire to wire, and I still believe the Cardinals are the better team. I totally agree that the the Panthers, the concern there is that they haven't lost at home in 427 days, not that Carson Palmer is coming off a mediocre game. Uh, Before we say uh, goodbye to the Packers, uh, it's amazing how they've had some of these really painful playoff losses sneakily. I mean, maybe it's not sneaky to Packers fans, but this is now five straight years they made the playoffs since they won their title, and everyone thinks, well, they won their title. That doesn't make these hurt that much less. I, mean, I had they, a they still hurt. Guy on Twitter said, "Any any thought about the Packers cracking the pain rankings?" And I said, That's "When you go oh, far, ah, when you go That's far ridiculous. to Rogers, nineteen ninety two to present, you get you don't get to do that." But it does. There is um, a level of agony as a fan when 
you are the team that gets to the playoffs every year, and then you lose these. I mean, the last two years, the last were heartbreaking. Two, absolutely, losses. and the and, and you f- you feel this as a Patriots fan that watched your team lose the Super Bowl. That the problem is a little bit that if you're one of these bottom feeder teams, everyone's like, "Oh yes, your team stinks," and we know it, and everyone acknowledges it. When the Packers lose games like this, everyone defaults to who's not a Packers fan. Yeah, but they've had nothing right. but playoff runs, and it's easy. It's a whole different situation. It's been rough for them, but they're not in the pain rankings. No, give me a break. But, but this one was particularly excruciating. Post-season they played such a great game. and Was it, it worse than last year? No, that's not at all. That was, true. to me, the worst loss ever that any team's ever had, <laughs> personally, uh, in my watching football. But yeah. um, two, one last thought about the Packers, because this stat is just crazy. Because this you'll never see this again as long as you watch football. Packers were facing a fourth and twenty from their own four yard four yard line, down seven, fifty five seconds left, no timeouts, and they tied the game. <laughs> and then they lost, but to tie that game, it's crazy. And also, it was great. Uh, you know, it was great to have Chris and Al with us. For oh that. yeah, you're right. I you take... guys are in a bar. I don't know if you're able to hear it. I'd sound. But they had a great game, and it was just especially after Fouts. Fouts had a tough game early in the early game. Dan was all yeah. over the Dan. Fouts had situation. a nice game. He saw it. Fouts struggled throughout the early game. To have Alan Chris calling that game, it felt good. I agree. I the other week I said that that Mike Tirico and Gruden had passed Alan Chris uh, on my power ring. That that was wrong. I was too rash. I knew an, you were. It uh, was an yeah. emotional in the it's moment okay. decision. And after being home a rare time, and you'd be home and watch a game. It's uh, big of you to admit. I take it all back. I mean, Chris was so good. At oh, it. he was locked it, in. Chris and Al will be happy to hear that. Don't sleep on Iron Eagle. <laughs> very much a professional on the rise. Iron Eagle, he can Rock handle the podcast all by himself. He's like, or all, he can handle the broadcast. Total pro. You know himself. what they call him? The beak and the bird. Or the beard. The beak and the bird. Whatever. Well, the then. bird and the beard. Who cares? <laughs> all right, let's move on to the Sunday games. And uh, we'll start in Charlotte, a game we build heading into this week on the podcast as the game of the weekend. And uh, it was a one-score game in the end, but it was not anything anybody could predict it because at halftime, the Carolina Panthers were up 31 to nothing. And we're talking about a historic one-sided affair. The Seahawks shell-shocked. My boy Michael Bennett yelling at teammates. Everyone frazzled on the sideline. They can't make a field goal. They can't convert on fourth down. Seattle, everything going wrong. Russell Wilson, you know, playing like McLemore uh, behind center. Uh, but what happens in the second half? A total flipping of the script is the Seahawks that go nuts. They score 24 points in the second half, shut out the Panthers, but basic math, and I am no math expert. As you guys know, I got a 39 on a state-mandated math test as a 10th grader um, back in Pearl River, New York. Out of 100? Out of 100. Okay. Um, That sucks. That's hard to do. Thank you. Uh, But 31 beats 24. Simply put, the Seahawks put themselves in a hole that they could not dig out of. So Carolina moves on and the Seahawks have been slayed. The back-to-back defending conference champions are dead. It reminded me a lot of last year's NFC title game with the Packers basically being dominant for a first half. But the difference this time around was that the Panthers got touchdowns. Packers settled for field goals last year, Mm. kept the Seahawks in it. You don't come back from 31 to nothing, even with Russell Wilson. Well, I think the Panthers' dominance – like when they put a 30 minutes of dominant play on you, that's the most dominant 30 minutes there is in the NFL this season. And that's why they're 15 and one. And then they can go into this lackluster mode as Cam Newton put it. Their butts were tight. You would have liked it. A lot of butt talk from Cam Newton. He literally, tight butt. He literally said tight butts three times in 20 seconds. That is a, a cousin of the hot butt. 
Right. Uh, but they're just when they get on their rolls, and they've done it at different points of the season for 20 minutes of the game, the game's over. You can't come back from that. I mean, they did it against the Packers, the Colts, and the Giants where they gave up these big leads, but in the end they won all those games because they were just too good early. It's If you look at the score and you were to say, listen, they got up 31 nothing, and this is the final score, I would have expected a more dramatic second half, to be honest, because it never really felt like – the Seattle crossed the threshold where they truly were going to tie this thing up. It just was too little, too late. But that said, it was one of the rare games where we wrote a halftime post because of the first half dominance. It was that unusual. And I that's asked, when it's bad. That's when it's bad. Yeah. I asked Wesley, you know, as they were climbing back in, Seattle, is this potentially the most daring thing we've ever seen Pete Carroll do? Allow Carolina to get up by such a lead, <laughs> and it's such a deep psychological warfare that they kind of take their foot off the gas from there, and here comes Seattle. But I would imagine that was not the strategy. Sneaky Pete. After uh, the Seahawks' second touchdown to make it 31-14, there was right out of the gates in the second half. They just came out firing, and Mark, yeah. What did you yell? Just set fire to my halftime post. Well, I just, you know, I just written this thing, and like within five minutes, it was like off. The, it was off the internet. I don't, root, I don't root for this happening to Mark, but Mark does this a lot, where he <laughs> tries to get ahead of a game or story, so he writes a lot, and then you know, as the NFL, what happens to the NFL teams get back in it, and it blows up Mark's post, and then you could see him simmering with rage. Still well, waiting yeah. for the Jimmy Garoppolo analysis piece. Yeah, there, <laughs> our, our editor Mark Ortega pointed out the same thing, and I was unwilling to concede it at first, but it's absolutely true. I've wasted hundreds of hours <laughs> the, you you mentioned that there was never any tense point in this game and I I totally agree the one moment where it felt like Seattle could legitimately get back in it was after they did the fake punt uh, down 31 14 at the time and they had some momentum and you thought well if they can score another touchdown there and there's still a ton of time at that point in the game but they didn't they stalled after the fake punt they didn't score there and then when they finally got that late touchdown it just took too when they, long when they got the second touchdown yeah you thought that maybe they're going to pull this off and really get back in this game but they just didn't have enough momentum after that point they obviously badly outplayed the panthers and in the second half and what about that though because this is the second time we've seen the panthers lighting up an opponent and then take their foot off the gas pedal and almost get beat because of it. Four times. Yeah, I can think of four. Colts game, Packers game, Giants game. It's a trend, and they've talked about it. And Cam Newton. It could come back to haunt them against, you know, we're down yeah. to four of the best teams in the league now and, and two more wins they need. They, they need to play a more well-rounded game here. The reason it surprised me to see Seattle storm back, not, not so much just that, but for Carolina to go to completely dark on offense in the second half, was that it wasn't they didn't get up thirty one nothing in fluky ways. They absolutely dominated both lines. And that's how you would expect a forty five to ten finish. Seattle's defensive lineman, Michael Bennett, Cliff Avril, like we've been watching them dominate. They had nothing no answers for Jonathan Stewart early. I think when they lost Avril or Avril for the game early, that was a big problem because they had no pass rush. Even in the second half when they were stopping them, they didn't really have any pass rush, which was different than what we saw all year. I look at it just like the Seattle Seahawks were one of the three or four best teams in the entire league. And it was weird how this game was all one way and then all the other way. But in the end, it sort of turned out what you would expect. I yeah. Seattle should have had some dominant moments in this game. It just happened to all be in a row. I mean, this is an awesome Seahawks team where if you had given them the one seed, if they had been a good team during the regular season, they didn't earn it. Like, it wouldn't have surprised me at all for them to win a couple home games and, and go to the Super Bowl. It wouldn't have surprised us if Seattle won this game. We no. picked – a lot of us picked them. If you're a Seahawks fan making excuses about the 
poor field condition uh, shut up. or the early East Coast time, shut the up. whole time zone thing, just stop. Stop whining. Just wait till tomorrow. Be a better human being. Enjoy your three great seasons in a row and the fact that you'll be back in the playoffs again next year. It may be, though, as we were talking about downstairs, the end for Marshawn Lynch because my big question would have been he wasn't effective early and did not look right to me. Couldn't Why? make anybody miss in open space. Right, and, and as you asked downstairs, where was Kristen Michael? I mean, he probably was the better option, and it was too late. That's, that's tough, though, if you're the coach, because it is tough. To take but him out of the lineup, because you never know when Lynch is going to break one, and even true. if he doesn't look like Marshawn Lynch, you don't want to take him off. I know Kristen Michaels played pretty well since he came back, but, I mean, he's Kristen Michaels still, ultimately. Well, in the first half, I don't think you could have put Walter Payton back there. I'm not sure it would have mattered with the way Carolina's front seven was playing. Well, he's he's dead, so that wouldn't have been a good move. Well, Greg, uh, you had to go there, soon, and that Greg. was a little bit – that was an ugly way to approach that. I think the point was made. Well, Lynch has, do, <laughs> Lynch has an $11.5 million cap hit. I don't think there's any way he's back after Thomas Rawls thoroughly outplayed him. This you know what's weird? That commercial um, with Eric Dickerson – that they play all the time where he talks about Walter, Walter Payton. I guess it's for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. And Eric Dickerson is supposed to be sharing a memory about Walter Payton, and his memory is that when he introduced himself to Walter Payton when he was a young player, Walter Payton said he knew who he was. So it was kind of like a humble brag. Mm. Well, there was another element to it, but to out of the gate it was absolutely a uh, humble brag. And while, while we're here on commercials that are getting played constantly, I tweeted about this. The nationwide commercial with Peyton Manning, uh, where you know he's wearing the shorts and playing golf, and and then he's playing ping pong, and he goes the comeback starts, epic comeback starts right now, hits it, the kid returns serve, Manning swings and misses, but the kid's return serve doesn't hit the table, so the point is Manning's, he should know that. It's a fair point. The epic you. comeback That's did start right point. there. That's an he excellent. Doesn't point. even know the rules. How's he gonna make a comeback? Read into it how you will when looking ahead to uh, this week's AFC Championship game. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I think uh, one one part of the Panthers we didn't really talk about was the defensive line and Kwan Short and Star Lota Lele, your the buddy, Mollies. Uh, playing so well early and dominating. They had 14 QB hits today, the Panthers did, including three from Jared Allen, who sounds like he may or may not be able to play next week. But the, the Seattle problems that they had earlier in the year kind of came out in this game. I mean, they they start games poorly. They start seasons poorly. They can't protect Russell Wilson, especially up the middle. And that was a big part of why they fell behind. Speaking of hog mollies, uh, I love the Dave Gettleman sideline shot, standing with Ernie Acorsi. And whenever I could see Ernie Acorsi's hair, and anytime, I'm excited. I don't, I don't disagree. A gorgeous at all. jet black mane on Ernie Acorsi. Ernie Acorsi must be like 107 at this point, but Whoa. I mean, I love the guy. <laughs> Old Browns general manager, Giants general manager. Yeah, those two guys, Gettleman and Acorsi, go way back with the Giants front office, and I believe Acorsi got him the job in Carolina as a consultant. So that, you know, Cam Newton said, you know, tight butts, which is a um, cousin of the hot butt. Tight butt, hot butt, tight butt, hot butt. Do we have any uh, – are we nervous at all about the Panthers, what we saw in the second half, the, you know, going – we'll get into the games, but did that spook you at all? Or was it – if you watch the interview after the game that Cam did, I don't know if you guys saw that um, – he clearly was not, not perturbed, but when he said, yeah, well, you know, we were pretty conservative in the second half, I think he was a little frustrated 
how conservative the offense was. I guess you could kind of mark it off to that because they certainly did not play the same way in terms of passing the ball and all that. So part maybe of that was just, on, you're up 31 nothing. I guess. Part of that was on Cam. His his mechanics backslid in the second half, and he wasn't setting his feet again. They were annoyed. It was a weird feeling to the fact because this is the first time they've made the NFC title game since 2005, I believe. And so this is a celebratory biggest moment of Cam's career. But through, from Rivera to Keekley to Cam, all of them after the game were a little annoyed about the game, which maybe isn't a bad thing. Especially you go into the title game a little, you get you know yeah, fired up. They had a chance off. to go in at halftime up 31 nothing. You know, they could have – if they would have stayed playing at that level and, and won 48-10 or something, yeah, you're right. They're they're flying into the NFC title game. I think it's actually – it happened at the perfect time because instead of wiping out Seattle and maybe thinking a little too highly of yourselves and everyone suddenly saying, oh, you know what, they are just that team, they had a wake-up call in the second half where you just said it, the coach, the quarterback, everyone on – Mike Shula, everyone on both sides of the ball says – we can't let that happen again. I think it's a perfect timing for Carolina. They're not going to let it happen next week. I yeah, like that. I don't know if there's any predictive value in doing that. It seems like a habit, but to me, when you take something more tangible, like the fact that Larry Fitzgerald is going to absolutely toast Cortland Finnegan. Oh, man. Because Finnegan had an awful Finnegan's game. a problem. He's a problem, and I, I, I would be more concerned. I won't about say anything because, you know, I've been on his bad side, but – uh, you got a salty, expletive-laced uh, direct messages from him, didn't you? I did. He's had a very good career, but he was a liability today in coverage and as a tackler. That that corner, well, we'll get into it. But, yeah, their loss of those two other top three cornerbacks, I think if it's ever going to show up, it's going to show up against the Arizona Cardinals. I agree. Which takes us to the final game of a divisional round weekend, the game played at Mile High Stadium. Invesco Field at Mile High. That's correct. Something like that. How did I become the authority on corporate stadium names? You, you, <laughs> it just shows you you're, you're such a sponge for football knowledge how far you've come. But this game with Peyton Manning behind center um, takes care of business. They took care of business. They beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 23-16, a beat-up Steelers team that clearly uh, Ben Roethlisberger, a gutty performance playing with all those injuries. But no Antonio Brown certainly was a factor in this game. Uh, even if Martavis Bryant did step up, uh, they did not move the ball as well. And it came down to a big fumble. A big fumble saved them uh, when Jeremy Hill fumbled last week for the Bengals, setting up the game-winning field goal with the help of all those personal fouls. But this time it was a fumble from their own their own stealer running back. Remind yeah. me of his name. Fitzgerald. Fitz Toussaint. Fitz Toussaint, thank you. Fumble setting up the game-winning touchdown drive by the Broncos. The defense holds. And game over, the Broncos and Peyton Manning back to the AFC title game, Greg, uh, for the second time in Manning's four years in Denver. Well, it's weird to see this formula work in the playoffs and that it, that it is the Broncos' formula, but this is the Broncos' team we saw all year, that the defense holds the other team, keeps, keeps the offense in the game as the passing game and Peyton Manning's doing nothing, and then Manning somehow comes up with his best drive of the game at the end to win it, the defense holds. The special teams got six points in this game early, which ended up being a big factor, and on you go. It's it's ugly, and Manning is you know the fourth or fifth or tenth reason why they're winning, but I don't think it makes them any less effective. This is a defense that has the capability to make plays at the end of the game. Let's calm down. They gave up 400 yards. This was not a good defensive performance. They gave up 16 Wade, points. Wade Phillips got out coached by Todd Haley. They didn't have their two best running backs and their best wide receiver, and the Steelers moved the ball up and down the field pretty regularly. But they didn't finish drives, and a I lot mean, of that was but because— But that's not a dominant defense. 
It wasn't today. That's for no. sure. I think they have the capability and the personnel to play dominant defense. It was not today, but what they were, like we talked about with situational football, was very good in the key situations. Fourth and one, Pittsburgh decides to go for it early. Uh, Denver was ready to make that play, and they stopped him. They blitzed them late. DeMarcus Ware stops Ben Roethlisberger late in the game. They get the fumble when they absolutely need it. A lot of times they got the sack of Ben Roethlisberger to knock him out of field goal range. I mean, in the end, they made all the big plays. I I know. I, you know, we were – Greg and I were getting into it downstairs because I – I want to feel like you believe what you're saying about of Denver. Of course I do. I don't believe that. Style I, points I just don't, don't matter. Buy, I don't, don't buy you. into this team I'm right with now. Mark, I don't believe you. I don't. How, buy they haven't played awesome defense since the first half of that's, the season. That's well, true. I, that's and their quarterback is a humongous liability. But here's the thing, and I think this is what Greg is probably getting at a little bit, at least partly, is that even when they don't have a great defensive game and Peyton Manning's bring little to the table, they still find a way to win a game. You got to deserve they credit win, for that. Winning for going games, they get hard. credit. I, I guess Patriots I'm just saying. Super Bowl. Right. If we end up, what would be the biggest disaster scenario of all these teams we've talked about? The number one is Denver getting into the Super Bowl. And it's not a knock on Broncos fans who are one of the best fan bases in the league, but this is not the team that should be in this situation You don't have right fun now. watching them. You're sick of watching them. No, they're well, going to be part of, part of it. It's a sport. It should be fun to watch. Yeah, no, Let's start there. But that's where it should be fun. eyes are coming right at you. No, no, no. no. I just I think that part of this is trying – and, and Greg, I, you Uh-oh. know what? Listen, you're probably coming from a totally different angle, but I feel like we're trying to sell this AFC championship in a way that New England doesn't have it in the bag. You know, <laughs> they might not really be that good of a team, and Denver has a lot of strong points to it, but – these games come down to – they're going to talk all week about Brady versus Manning. What's most depressing is the legacy of what all that is does not exist right now. Peyton Manning is not even a serviceable quarterback at the moment. I disagree. I think totally he, disagree. I think that he is serviceable. That's okay, right. well, then I used and the wrong word potentially. But you guys but also I, think he had a he pretty good game today, and I shadow. thought he I don't think he had a, a pretty good game. He didn't kill them today. He just he stayed out serviceable. of the way. He did not turn the ball over. He made some passes, uh, especially on the, the game-winning drive, uh, you know, and he did not – listen, the, he got – his receivers didn't help him out. His running backs dropped some passes. Manning can't throw deep anymore. He misses receivers a lot now. But now he is, you know, well below the Dalton line. But he is not just completely awful where Brock Osweiler is in the game today because that was never even a consideration. Well, the, here's where I have a problem with Peyton Manning, and it is something that, that we talked about downstairs, that if they get – if you get them into second and third down situations where it's not – they just need more than three or four yards, they're in hot water. Because, yes, Peyton Manning completed 21 passes, but he is nearly – in the Gabbard zone today because of the fact that really he's completely limited as a thrower and their route tree and everything they can do with their wide receivers is not NFL offense worthy right now, not AFC championship worthy. No, that's true of Manning, but they have Demarius Thomas. They have Emmanuel Sanders. They have an offense kind of like the Chiefs, kind of like the Packers that needs to be precise and they can't afford the penalties. They can't afford the drops. That's why I don't think he had an awful, awful game. Three of those drives stopped because of third down drops. He, he goes 21 to 37. He doesn't make any big mistakes. If you, if you don't drop those passes, they're moving the ball along. And you're right. He still has to be the like fourth reason that they win the games. You need the defense to play great. You need the running game to be better. And it's hard to win games like that. But they just did it again, and they've done it enough to get the number one seed in, in the and, AFC and, because of when Peyton Manning's playing. And, and to Mark's point, like – 
Peyton Manning was almost sheepish after the game talking to Tracy Wolfson because he's aware of that he is not the guy that is leading them. It's such a different p- part of his career now where he is just right. – they're trying to almost hide him to get through these games, and that's weird. And But really, when you look ahead to Sunday, and again, we'll get into it, what makes it a strange AFC title game and a strange Peyton Brady thing is it's no longer two, two juggernauts going against each other. It's one guy that – really most likely is in his last season, you think, Peyton Manning, or, or I hope so, to be honest with you, uh, is in his last season. And Tom Brady, who's still one of the best players in the league. So they're going to have a huge mismatch at the quarterback position. But the Broncos have enough, especially if their running game can get going next week, uh, where they, I think they can hang in that game. Yeah. I, d- I don't think it will be a blowout. Yeah, they thought- waited way too long to get C.J. Anderson going today. They cannot toy around with that next week. You hear our uncles and our dads always talk about the lamentable – scene of Willie Mays playing outfield for the New York Mets. That was Peyton Manning today when he gave himself up on that sack. And then got up and had his biggest play of the game. It's, right. The refs missed the call, but he, he gave himself up. On the, but he was doing that when he was winning the MVP. He's not the king that, of the not, slide not, that, not to that. Not to that. Steelers players thought down. the play was over, which is their fault if that's the way it is. But, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think I think it sounds like we're, we, we don't like Peyton that's what he Manning. Does. But the part of it that's is Not just, to that degree. Come on. Right. We're watching a shadow of what he was, and that's Absolutely. not nope. that's that's Who's depressing. Arguing, no, I'm not saying you're yeah. arguing, but, but that's what's depressing. You guys are trying to act like the Broncos. I don't know. To me, Tom Brady is so much better than Peyton Manning right oh, now. Oh, well, of course. Oh, well, we all agree that the Patriots have to be the clear favorite. I, I agree. But this that- used to be when we would look at Brady versus Manning. It would be, you know, who's going to win the game? Which quarterback has the better game? You, you can't look at that game right. next all. Sunday like right. that. This is about which team's better. And the Broncos have enough pieces as a team, including his weapons, Manning's weapons, where it could be a battle. It's just it's different now, and it, it's kind of strange. It has to be said, on third and 12, after, you know, everyone's going to say the Tucson fumble, that's what lost it for the Steelers. Right after Special that, teams were a disaster for Special the Steelers. teams was a, a bad job for them, too. Right after that fumble, it's third and 12. Uh, the Steelers, I think they blitzed on that play. They're getting some pra- pressure on Peyton Manning, and he threads the needle for a 32-yard throw to, to Fowler, which was by far Manning's best play of the game. I would say it's his only throw that really stood out, but it was also his biggest throw of the game because if that's incomplete, they're punting the ball right back to the Steelers. They're, they're right in the same field position that they were, but he hit that throw, and then he hit the next throw, and then they ran the ball, and the offense came through at the end when they, when they couldn't. And I, I to me, that just shows that, to me, that's worth something. Like, you have to give them credit for winning a divisional round game, no matter how banged up the Steelers were. Sure, and from a Steelers angle, people can, will focus on the Tassan fumble, but they had the ball again with three minutes to yeah. go and a chance to tie the game. They didn't get it done. And the Bengals and Steelers killed themselves. They knocked themselves out of, out of contention this year because yeah. I honestly think the, the Steelers would have won this game if they had Antonio Bryant, I do. Uh, Brown and on the field. I Actually, I, I do think that. I think this was a, obviously a close game that – when Toussaint fumbled the ball, they had a one-point lead in Denver territory. I mean, they had a chance to win this game. Oof. And if you put the best wide receiver in football on the field, I think it would have made the yeah. difference. I, I agree, especially in this game where receivers were open, which which is a concern for Denver. I mean, the receivers were open. Chris Harris and Roethlisberger was Roethlisberger. Just, he was throwing the ball downfield. He looked like his, his old self to me. Yeah, that that and you said the Bengals knocked knocked uh, this themselves out or knocked the Steelers out, but it was really Vontas perfect. I mean, he locked he knocked Le'Veon Bell out for the season. He knocked. Antonio Brown out. He injured Roethlisberger, although that didn't really seem to be a factor in this game. Roethlisberger looked the same as he ever is. When you look at the Broncos' chances going forward, the inescapable fact is that in six home games this year, Peyton Manning has one touchdown and eight interceptions, which is beyond beyond inept. 
defense has to play better. They need the defense to play like we were talking about really early in the season, that they could be like the Seahawks from a couple of years ago. I mean, they need to have one of those types of games. I think the football um, cognoscenti, Wes, and uh, the people out in the desert in Nevada, everyone is going to look at the Broncos as an underdog in their own building, and maybe they'll draw off that. I don't know. Right. I, but the same group was saying how the the Patriots, not that they were, everyone was picking the Patriots to lose, but saying, well, the Patriots, they haven't been the same team. They're not the same. And then one game flips all that. That's all, that's why the NFL's the NFL. Well, the Patriots were materially different. They got Julian Edelman and, and Gronk and Amendola healthy, yeah. and that makes all the difference in the world. That's why Wes's tagline for the NFL is, the NFL, you figure it out, because we don't know what we're talking about half the time. Exactly. Is it you just you figure it out, or is it then comma because we don't know? No, you got to get well, short and sweet. You yeah, figure that's it what out. I thought. Yeah. I, I had like the subtitle underneath, like the long subtitle like on the book. Dan hands his vanity URL. <laughs> well, there, there you go, guys. That is a nice recap of all four games. Professional. Uh, I thought we hit on a lot of good points. Hot fire. A little bit of mirth. Some you crazy know. eyes. Nice job, guys. Little crazy eyes, Cecil. Well, I just Greg. want Greg to be honest. <laughs> what are you talking about? I agree with Mark. I, I don't you know. think Greg's being honest. What are you? That's it. That you're impugning my character. I am impugning your character. In this now case, you're taking, terrible. Now you're taking it to an even greater degree by sticking up for yourself when you know that you don't really believe the Broncos. Of course I believe. Is that true, Greg? No. You don't believe I the believe. Broncos. You just lied again. Why would I? Why would I make? Now that you're up? doubling down. You're insane. This is going to be a great week. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> uh, we have. Uh, let's see, two more shows before Championship Sunday. It's sad. There's only three games less, left this season, guys. That's well, it. the Pro Bowl, let's not forget that. That's not sad. I have forgotten it already. Oh. Like, even when you just mentioned it, it's gone. I don't even know what we were talking about. Four games. You can uh, watch Game Pass all offseason. Football you, never ends. You know what I will be watching is the Pro Bowl draft. I always turn, tune in for that. <laughs> no comment. Good luck. It'll be great. It'll be I want to party with you, Cowboys. This was – the Around the NFL podcast, sponsored, of course, by Scott Trade. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, we'll be back on Tuesday uh, with the first of, as I said, two shows as we lead up to championship weekend. The Throne of Ease uh, still alive. So congratulations, Greg. Thanks. We keep on rolling with the Throne of Ease. It's all me. I can't <laughs> do it. I mean, another week of the Super Bowl with the Patriots. It just can't happen. We need something to happen. Oh, it can and it probably Peyton will. Manning. Peyton Manning, go down to Florida. Go talk to that guy. See what you can do. <laughs> we need you. Go to go to Sweden. Go go somewhere. You want the Broncos in the Super Bowl. See, now I'm concerned. Pray. Do something. I don't know. And if the Broncos do make the Super Bowl, uh, Greg, got to make sure Mark's on the Peyton Manning beat. Of course. Why not? <laughs> I'll bring some honesty to the subject. <laughs> All right. We will be back Tuesday, as I said. So this is Dan Hansis signing off. Four, Quiet Storm, The Mailman, The Boss, and B-Mark behind the glass. Till Tuesday! Damashek here. Make sure you check out the latest episode of the Dave Damashek football program. Matt Harmon, Handsome Hank, and I are picking the divisional round games and talking a little Chip Kelly. Check it out on NFL.com slash podcast and iTunes. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, 
your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.